Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I don't know who sets the worship center temperature, but why does it have to be so cold? Why do you have to be so right? Heated chairs are now being installed. This one wants a small church, but I'm afraid if it's too small, they're going to make me volunteer like crazy. And I don't stack chairs, do I? Makes total sense. Join now and we'll let you decide the size of our church. We're millennials and we want a church that... Say no more. Any requests you have will be granted immediately. Parking is horrible. It takes me almost six minutes to get from my car to the building. Ugh. It's going to take me six seconds to tell you a valet service is on the way. My pastor's preaching, it's all over the map. I say, oh, I don't know, stick with the books of the Bible. We should be only exegetical. Okay, next week we start John chapter 1, verse 1. And we'll even start pronouncing that word the way you said it. Hey, I'd like this sermon to be no longer than 30 minutes. How does 15 minutes sound? Hey, anybody willing to go to 15 should be willing to go to 10. <laughs> you drive a hard bargain. But from now on, five-minute sermons it is. <laughs> now you're talking. Me Church, where it's all about you. God forbid that should ever describe our church. <clears throat> um, we laugh, but it's also sad, right? You've been in you've been in some churches where where majority rules, and let me just say this. Uh, I defy you. I double dog, triple dog, however many dog dare you to find in scripture where the majority is right. Very, uh, if, if there's one, I don't know about it. So I need you to bring it to my attention. The majority is usually wrong. There's usually one or two or a remnant God calls them. I'm going to talk to you next week about the company of the concerned. I'm reading, I got this, this guy that's from a long time ago that wrote these commentaries and he called it the, com, uh, the company of the concerned. And, and just a short synopsis is um, when, when the Israelites were, were in captivity in Babylon, they'd been there 70 years and then the word of the Lord came to them and said, return to Jerusalem and rebuild my, my temple, rebuild the walls. And only the company of the concerned went back. There was a remnant. There's always a remnant. And so we'll talk more about that next week. Let me give you a couple of announcements and we'll, we'll get rolling on today's service. Um, we are going to have a very short meeting. We're not going to have a leadership lunch today. Um, we're just going to meet in here. If you're in leadership, come up to the front couple of rows. We'll, we'll have a very short meeting about where we're headed uh, as a church and, and kind of the things that are going on, and we'll get you out of here very quickly. Um, remember that this... Wednesday through Friday is the sensational summer send-off, and uh, we got a ton of kids signed up for that. It's not too late if you are um, finished third through sixth grades. Uh, talk to Tammy about that. The clothing and food giveaway is coming up very soon. There are some flyers back there, and uh, we want to bless people. If you want to take some of these flyers, I'd love to run out of them, make some more. Uh, Nicole, you told me the next two Saturdays, is that right? The next two Saturdays at what time? I Eight until uh, it gets too hot. We're going to be uh, sorting clothes. So if you want to, if you want to help with that, see her. Um, but we'll be going down to the blue house down here. That's where all the clothes are. We're going to make sure we know what we have. We need polo shirts, and usually they're like five. 
550. I don't even know what they are this year, but um, we, we like to offer that. So this year it's going to be different. Nobody's going to come in our building. We're going to set up out here under the covered drop-off and all the tables will be there. We will be limiting the number of people that come in and shop at one time so that we can keep social distance. When they finish getting all of that stuff, they'll head over to the house and that's where we'll give them a bag of, of grocery groceries. And so we want to be a part of blessing people. Um, so you can, you can um, donate clothes from now until then. We want good clothes. If they're bad clothes, we're just going to chunk them on the burn pile. And I got a big burn pile um, because, I mean, I just don't want our church to be known as the church that says you can have something that I wouldn't wear. Um, I don't believe that reflects well on our Savior. And so if you need to give something that's, that's your best, then you give your best. If it's something, you know, that you would wear regularly and, and God tells you to give, I dare you to go, clo- go through your closet. There's probably, <laughs> there's probably at least 50% of the clothes in your closet you never wear. So anyway, I'll get off of that. We'll, we'll harp on that in, the, in another sermon. Marriage night. Okay, this is something you need to know about. Um, this is going to be a big deal on September 26th in here from 6 to 9.30 p.m. This is marriage night and some of the, some of the best known speakers um, in, in marriage and, and actually entertainment. Michael Jr. is going to be one of the speakers, so it's going to be a simulcast. You have to register, and I'll get information about that. You're actually registering that you're going to come to New Life. It's $15 per person, $30 per couple. We get part of that money back and so we'll be having some snacks that night and we'll have a place for you to go and and um and enjoy that but uh you have to register through right now ministries and i'll let you know how to do that in the future it's gonna be a great time if you're if you're if you if you're married if you ever want to be married if you know someone who's married if you know someone who might be married this is a time that you need to be here so do that we'll also have our raffle um for the pellet grill that'll be after church today so you're gonna want to hang around for that all right so we finished our series on, on uh, soul detox and, and just was praying about what God wanted me to share. And, and so this is, this is kind of what I, what I believe God wants me to share. Now, this is, this is what do you think this is? What, what kind of book is this? It is the Holy Bible, right? It's leather. And, and it actually has two uh, versions, but I'm just going to tell you about one, all right? So at the top, it says King James Version. Now, now yes. Casey, Casey loves to read it and loves to quote it and, and, uh, nothing wrong with that, but okay, let me, let me give you some words. Let's say that this represents a church, a type of church. All right. King James Bible, leather bound Bible. Let me give you, and, and I'm not casting stones, but I want to share with you what some churches who only use the King James version, what they have said about themselves. Here are the words traditional, nothing wrong with tradition, but Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And I've been in some churches where traditionalism was rampant and it was dead faith. And you might as well put Ebenezer on the doors of that church because Ebenezer means the glory of God has departed. Now, here's what they said. Traditional, reverent, best loved hymns. Nothing wrong with hymns. King James only preached for over 65 years. Now, my parents went to that style of church. My parents died in 2013. That church is on its last legs. Do you want to know why? 
because the, from the outside looking in, it's this type of church. Nothing wrong with that. There's, there's hundreds of people in Palestine who go to churches that are traditional, best loved hymns, been preaching the King James Version. But here's my point. If you were a non-Christian looking in and all you saw was this, what are some words that you would use to describe that church? I'm not saying that it's fair. I'm saying that people who don't know Jesus are looking at this and what are they thinking about this? Boring? Somebody said boring. What? Dry? Unreachable? David, what'd you say? Close-minded. Okay. So fairly or unfairly, churches that are like this have that reputation from the non-church community. And are they seen as a welcoming community or are they seen as a country club where you have to meet certain conditions to come in? Country club. Are there efforts in in publicity, programming, designed to reach people far from God, or are they already convinced? Already convinced. Y'all weren't sure about that one. Already convinced. Okay, got another Bible here. Here's the student Bible. Uh, I used the student Bible for years when I was a youth minister. Now, if you're just thinking, you know, if you're just using your brain, this is not a hard question. What kind of individuals are you trying to reach if you're using the student Bible? Teenagers, students, right, okay. So, so let me tell you about what happened in the Baptist church because we are Southern Baptists. We don't look like it. That's intentional. But let me tell you what happened in the Baptist church. About 20, 25 years ago, we started realizing that we're missing the, the next generation, right? And so what we did was we did a blended service where, where blended meant that part of it was old traditional hymns and part of it was... Well, not, 30 years ago, we didn't have good Christian music. Let me just tell you that. Um, but it was Christian music. And I remember having a youth band in a church and we played and people told us that was devil music. So nobody was happy. The teenagers were like going, we're going to sing hymns again because they would go to youth camp and get pumped up for Jesus. We'd come back and sing hymns. And then the older folks, I'm sorry if you're one of those, but you're probably cool because you're here, right? Okay. Um, <clears throat> But the older people, I actually had somebody one time, a, a greeter at my church, bow up to me. Dude was 90 years old. Dude could barely stand up and told me he would whip my backside if I didn't get in there and turn that music down. And I, and, and I'm, I said, quote, I said, did you just cuss at me in church? And he did. I was just shocked. Now, now this is better, right? It's trying to reach a certain group. But if you're trying to blend, who's happy? Nobody. Now, this is old and this, is, this has been revised, but this is from 25 years ago. Actually, 27 years, no, 17 years ago. Got to do the math. 2003, this is called the Revolve. Now, the reason they, they changed it is because this looks like from 2003, doesn't it? Y'all, right? This is magazine format. It is set up with all kinds of articles, but it's the complete New Testament. If you were a teenage girl in 2003 and you wanted a Bible, do you think this would appeal to you? Yes. Of course it would. They sold out to reach a certain segment of society. Now, the reason I tell you all of this is because we have a choice. Go ahead and put that slide up there if you would, Chris, to service or serve us. If, if an, a non-Christian were to look at this church, would they say that church is known for service or would they say that church's slogan is serve us? This one, service or serve us? 
Uh, depends on if you're a student or not a teenager. This one, service or serve us? It depends on, right? I want to be known as that church that serves. I want to wear those, those cross t-shirts that we have that said, ask me about new life. And I want to do so many things in this community that people see that maroon shirt with the cross and they go, oh, that's that church. That's that serving church. I don't care if they know our name. I just want them to know that we serve. We have a reputation with Praying Pelican Missions um, that, that our, church, our group will do whatever's necessary. When we didn't get to go to Haiti a few years ago and we went to Belize, had no money. We went and bought some, some uh, machetes and, and some rakes and we started cleaning out the drainage ditch in San Lazaro, Belize. I said, whatever you need us to do. They scraped up enough money to buy paint for the church. We painted the church. We painted the bus stop so it matched the church, right? I want to be that church that serves. So how are we going to become that church? Well, we got to do a few things. To move from serve us to service, number one, we got to invest and invite. Do you know the number one barrier that keeps your friends and family and your coworkers from coming to church? You don't ask them. So many believers in Christ instinctively know that their church is meant for them and not for outsiders. And quite honestly, if you were to ask them, they would be embarrassed. When we used to do a, a thing for teenagers in this town, we would, we would have anywhere from 250 to 500 teenagers on a Saturday night because we designed it for them. We'd have kids come to Christ and then we would ask them to come to our church the next morning. They say, we can't come to your church. Why? Because that's the rich church. I don't have anything to wear. I finally got tired of that and I said, we're gonna, we're gonna make a church where they can come. And not, I'm not throwing stones at that church. I'm just saying that was reality. That was perception. We've gotta invest in friendships and we gotta invite people to come. And we've made this service, designed this service so that somebody who's never heard anything about Christ can come and sit here and walk out going, I didn't know that about Jesus. I didn't know that about God. And we believe that's the type of church that Jesus would wanna be a part of. So you got to take risks. You got to make an ask about, hey, will you come to church or would you meet me at church? And, and if you don't do that, if you don't take risks in your relationships, you're being unfaithful to God and you're communicating that we are a serve us church. If your service doesn't require any faith, you're being unfaithful. If you're relationships don't require any faith. You're being unfaithful. And look what, look what it says about faith in, in Hebrews eleven six. 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is what? Impossible. Not kind of different. This is, we don't have an IMF, an impossible mission force. I love, I love impossible, mission impossible movies. But this says it's not, it's not just difficult. It's impossible to please God without faith. Look at this. And I've, I've highlighted several words here. Because anyone who comes to him, that's God, must believe that he, God, exists and that he, God, rewards those who earnestly seek him, God. Who is this verse about? God. So last week we, we made a list, all right? We said at the top of your list should be God, but then we said, no, 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 the list is God. You get that right, all of your relationships are right. Your marriage is right. Your working is right. You have integrity. Jesus doesn't expect us to produce more than, than we can, but he does expect us to produce all that we can with his power within us and with his power in us, we can produce way more than we think we can. See, we, we, um, we tend to, we expect too little from God and we attempt too little for God. Would you agree with that? 
Now, now let me stop. Some of you are like, oh, I expect God to, to bless me. I just don't expect God to bless others through me. And so I don't attempt anything that's God-sized. I, t- I attempt things that are Doug-sized. And you know how, how long into eternity Doug-sized tasks last? About that long. God-sized tasks last forever. So we've got to be consumed with this mindset. This is where we're headed as a church. You've got to be consumed with this mindset. The kingdom of God is not big enough. Meaning, if there's one person who doesn't know about Jesus, within driving distance of this church, we've got to go after them. We have to reach them. We can never stop growing as long as there's one non-Christian in Anderson County. So the first thing is we've got to invest and invite. How we're going to move from service to serve us, I mean serve us to service, is moving from sitting to serving. The goal at New Life is that every believer here gets off your butt and serves. This is not church. This is worship. We come together as worship. This is the huddle. Can you imagine an NFL team? I don't even want to imagine an NFL. But imagine a team that all they ever did was huddle. They never went out and practiced the plays. They never had an opponent that they went against. That's the typical church in the United States. Let's huddle and never do anything outside of this huddle. That's not who we are. So the reason God brought you to new life is to serve. So I want you to say this. God brought me to new life to serve. And y'all know how I love punctuation. What's, what's at the end of that sentence? So you better say it with enthusiasm or we'll be here all day. All right. Here, God brought me to new life to serve. Say that. Now, before people join our church, they want to know a few things. And let's just run through this. There's some questions that they ask. Here's the question. Do I fit in here? It's the question of acceptance. People want to know that there's a place for them in our church. So we got to show them. Second question. Does anybody want to know me? This is the question of friendship. People aren't looking for a friendly church. They're looking for friends. And I'm, I don't know if you know this. You can't make friends in a worship service. You make friends in small groups. You make friends when you go someplace after the worship service. You make friends. Can I tell you that I, I've said this before. I've learned more about George Stanley on mission trips away from Palestine than I've learned in years, several years of him coming here. Whenever, whenever you're in Haiti and your, your beds are touching and you're sweating and, and you're just going, dear God, why am I here? You learn a lot about somebody. In the last two years, even in Houston, when we, were, when we were putting the roof on, I got to know Crystal in Houston because we went down and put on a roof, and it was a blast. Janie got to know Crystal this last year because they were the only two women on the trip, and if you're in a room and it's just two of you, you get to know each other, right, Crystal? Janie loves Crystal, got to know her on a mission trip. You can't, you can't become friends. Sorry, you just can't do it. You can worship together in a crowd, but you cannot fellowship together in a crowd. Question of friendship. People are not looking for a friendly church. They're looking for friends. Third question, am I needed? This is the question of values. Show me where I can make a contribution at your church. Next question is, what what is the advantage of joining? This is the question of benefit. We have to communicate. There is a biblical, there's a practical, personal reason to be a member of our church. The next question is, what is required of members? This is a question of expectations. People have a right to know what is expected of them. So that's why we have a membership class. We're going to tell you exactly what's expected of you. And it is never to sit. It is always to serve. See, the mission that Jesus Christ started when he came to earth, God says, I want you all, you, to finish it. And by the way, did you know the pastor was not given to the church in order to 
do the work of the church. The pastor, according to Ephesians chapter four, was given to the church to equip the church to get off their butts and serve. That's my translation. That's not one of these down here, but, but that's the Washburn perverted translation. But it's to serve. God gave them pastors and teachers to equip the saints, that's believers, for the work of ministry. My job is to equip you. Your job is to do the work. You didn't hire me to do the work. You hired me to equip you to do the work. So how are we going to be used by God? How are we going to be different than the other churches around here? There, when, when I counted, probably t- when we started this church, I counted how many churches were listed. They used to, I don't even know if they do this anymore. They used to have a church page and they listed all the, the churches and the font was so small you had to have a magnifying glass to see them all, right? There, there used to be 122 churches within the, the city limits of Palestine. 122. Now, that sounds like a lot until you realize we added up all of the capacity of all of those churches and it would have been about 5,000 people. What, what does the sign say? How many do we have in Palestine? About 18,000. We've got 50,000 in the, in the county. We're not even trying to reach everybody with the capacity that we have in our churches. And if you don't like this church, there's got to be one in 122 that you like. Go find you one. So how are we going to be used by God? Here it is. Number one, we're going to see the needs around us. Did you know that beer commercials do not sell beer? They sell fellowship. Nobody's ever seen sitting around drinking by themselves. It's always in context of somebody else. And they have slogans like this. It doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> or, you know, if you're a redneck, hold my beer. That could be one. Hold my beer and watch how dumb I can be. All right, that, that's another one. See, people want to connect and this, peop- this, this desire to connect with other folks gives us a huge opportunity to reach people. And, and I don't know if you know this. If you come to our class, you were taught this, you may have forgotten, our membership class. The reason we exist as a church is to reach people who are far from God, help them connect with God, and help them connect with other people. Um, sometimes people who are far from God walk into here because somebody brought them, right? And, and some of my greatest joys have been when people who are far from God hear about Jesus enough, they eventually give their heart to him, and then we come over here and we fill up our horse trough and we baptize them. I'll never forget when George Stanley came up to me after church one day, hadn't even told Rebecca, came up to me and he said, I did it. And I said, you did what? Because with George, you don't know. (laughs) And he said, I accepted Christ and I almost lost it. There was a guy who'd been in the military and he came and told me this was years ago. He was an atheist the first time he walked in here. I'll never forget when he walked down the aisle. And he said the same thing. He said, I did it. And George had prepared me. I'm like, you did what? He said, I prayed to accept Christ. And I said, holy cow, what would cause you an atheist? Because he told me, first time I met with him, he was drugged here kicking and screaming by his spouse. First time I met with him, he said, I'm an atheist. He told me why. And, and so I said, why would you come to Christ? And he said, dude, every week, you talk about something that's going on in my life and my marriage. And he goes, you're just not that smart. And I said, glory to God. You're right. I'm not smart enough. If God speaks to you through my sermon, it's, it's actually his sermon. Janie and I pray that all the time. God, this is not Doug because there's going to be a day that Doug dies. And, and don't you ever think that I'm not alive because on that day, I'll be more alive than I've ever been in this skin and bones, right? 
and, and the kingdom, Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against his kingdom. So it's not dependent on some pastor. We got to see the needs and reach out to people. Because when you don't, when you don't, the slogan of your life, and I've actually told several churches that I've been on staff, this ought to be the slogan of our church. We ought to, you know, those marquees, we don't put up, we don't have a marquee. We're not going to have a marquee as long as I'm alive. Next guy may want a marquee, go for a marquee. But, but I said to churches, you should put this slogan on your church. Whenever you don't have faith, when you don't know, when you don't share, you're saying, everybody who drives by here, y'all all go to hell. Put that on a t-shirt. Because that's what most churches I've been associated with. We want to serve us. In fact, one time um, we, we were without a pastor and, and I, I was in charge of, of kind of the staff and um, this long years ago. And uh, somebody came to the church and they wanted to use the church for something. And so I went and I, I didn't know any better. I asked all of the other staff. So we had custodial staff and secretarial staff. And I asked them and I said, should we do this? And every one of them said, no, absolutely not. We can't do this. The church is blah, 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 blah. So I was dumb enough to believe what they said. And I said to the person, no, we can't do what you said. She went off on me and then everybody else in the church. Next thing I know, all of the staff was like, how come you told her no? And I said, because y'all said to. And then we ended up doing what she wanted to do. And, and the whole time I was there, I was like, this is not of God. Mm -mm. And I believe that, that that church, I believe we suffered some consequences because we did something that wasn't of God because it would make somebody happy because somebody, and here's her words. I'm not making this up. She said, I would think that the church that I've been a part of all of this time should want to make me happy. And I'm like, I'm sorry, because I was just like, well, that's not why we exist, but everybody said do it, so go ahead and do it. When we communicate to others that they can go to hell, we're like, I'm in. I don't care about you. But here's what Paul told the church at Corinth to say. He says this in 1 Corinthians 9.22. This is the living Bible. Whatever a person is like, I try to find what? Common ground. Your job is to find common ground with people outside these walls. Why? So that he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. There was this guy that Jesus healed. He's the, he's the, um, the, the gathering demoniac. You know, when Jesus goes across the lake and there's, there's waves, oh, we're going to drown Jesus. And Jesus says, peace be still. They go and he meets this guy who, who was living among the tombs and Jesus casts out all the demons. The demons run into the pigs and the pigs run off the cliff. You know, that whole story. The guy was so grateful that Jesus had healed him. He said, I want to go with you. And here's what Jesus told him. Go back home and tell people how much God has done for you. Go back home. He said, nope, you're not supposed to come with me. Because they immediately asked Jesus to leave because the, the pigs, they were worried about their economy and they told Jesus to leave. And, and I believe Jesus was saying, you're the guy who's going to be my witness, to be my light here. Go back home. He said, and tell the people how much God has done for you so that... And so that man, where'd he go? All over town, all over town. When's the last time you've gone all over town to tell someone what Jesus has done for you? Next week, you're going to hear about a couple of opportunities that we have as church, not just the clothing and food giveaway, but where we have an opportunity to go over town, all over town and tell people what Jesus has done for us. Jesus is saying the same thing to you. Your mission starts in your home, in your neighborhood, at your job. And if you're not going to be faithful there, 
Why would he send you to Israel or to Belize or to Haiti? Go back home, get that right. And then he's going to give you opportunities. Here's, if you want to look for opportunities, here's the most receptive groups of people to Jesus Christ, to the message of Jesus. Second time visitors to our church. Did you know that? First time visitors, eh, kind of checking out. Second time visitors, extremely open to the church. Close friends or relatives of new believers, people going through divorce, those who feel their need for a recovery program, alcohol, drugs, sexual abuse, whatever. First time parents, y'all remember that? You're going, oh dear God, what do I do? We took Caleb home and we actually looked at each other and said, there's no instructions. We were scared to death. He slept in the middle of our king size bed with my hand on his belly because I was so afraid he would quit breathing. Had no clue what we were doing. The terminally, terminally ill and their families. By the way, um, you know we've, we've got folks that are going through some really difficult things and, and we need to keep praying for them. And, uh, and one of them is Christina Light. Uh, Chris, um, Lincoln now. Uh, known her as Light for so many years. So we've been praying for her to, to have triple bypass surgery. She went in this week. Ramona texted me and said, hey, we're going in pray. And they've postponed it again because of a, a kidney issue. And so we need to pray for her that they'll get that under control so she can have her surgery. Couples with major marriage problems, parents with problem children. We don't have any of those. <laughs> Recently unemployed or those were major financial problems, new residents in the community. So we've got we to see the need. Second, we've got to sympathize with people's pain. It's not enough just to acknowledge, oh, you're hurting. We sympathize. Look what Galatians 6.2 says. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens. What does that say? share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. Christ's law, he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love God. And he said, oh, by the way, the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, stoop down, let's share the burdens. And you don't have to leave home to do that. I already told you there's like 50,000 people within a 20 to 30 minute drive from your home. God says, if you want to show people love, you're going to do it through actions, not through words. And here's what James, the ha- I always tell you this, this is the half brother of Jesus. The reason I tell you that is James was a skeptic. He did not believe Jesus was the son of God until he saw him rise from the dead. And, and then he's like, oh yeah, I believe, right? Because if your brother predicts he's going to die on a cross and then he's going to rise again three days and he pulls it off, you might as well just bow down and say, you're God, right? He's the only one in history who's done that. And so James said this religion that our God, that God, our father, accepts as pure and faultless. And I so want to be a part of a church whose religion is pure and faultless. So what is that? To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Jesus rooted for the underdog. All the time he hung out with powerless, the poor, the left behind, the imprisoned, the orphaned, the widow, the aged, the mentally ill, the social outcast, the sick, the lepers. And he told us to do the same thing. That's pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, our father. And if Jesus were alive today, do you know where he'd be? He'd worship because he, every, he was always in the synagogue. Once a week, he was in the synagogue, but then he was hanging out with people who were far from God and far from society. And we need to be a church like that. Third way we're going to be used by God is to seize the moment and meet the need. We, we, can, we can see the needs. We can sympathize. Oh, you, yeah, but now we got to do something about it. One day we're going to stand before God and he's going to do this audit of our lives and he's, going to, he's, he's looking to see, did you just talk about love or did you do it? Did you graduate to actually doing something about it? 
Bible's going to, it says that Jesus, actually Jesus said this in the Bible. He said he's going to separate people into two groups. On his right are going to be the sheep. On his left are going to be the goats. I don't know why he chose sheep and goats, but because they were an agricultural society, they understood. And, and the sheep are the ones you want to be a part of. And here's what he says to the sheep. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. And when I was naked, you gave me clothes to wear. When I was sick, you took care of me. When I was in jail, you visited me. If you read the rest of that story in Matthew chapter 25, the sheep go, Jesus, when did we do that to you? And he said, whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And then he turns to the goats and he says, you didn't feed me. You didn't visit me. And they're like, well, when did we not do that? And he said, when you didn't do it to the least of these. And here's the, here's the big deal. The sheep are believers who go to heaven. The goats are unbelievers who go to hell. That's the separation. And, and I'm not saying that we, we earn our way into heaven. You cannot do that. But if you're, if you're a believer in Christ, you should be so grateful that you've been rescued, that you spend the rest of your life demonstrating that you have a savior in heaven. Now, when you give a cup of cold water, Jesus says to a child in his name, he notices and he multiplies that. And we went down here to Quail Valley a few weeks ago and we, we uh, rented out, we had John Roan and Snowy, his snow cone thing. It was the coolest thing to watch that go around and we're, we're handing out snow cones in Jesus' name. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to do another snow cones in Jesus' name. I'm going to tell you about it next week. So you got to be here next week. You got to watch online if you want to know what's going on. See, love isn't a feeling, it's a behavior. It's action. Paul said this in the, in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, you hear it all the time at, at weddings. If I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You think, I actually did this with a, at a deacon's meeting one time. I was a youth minister. I, I was asked to speak at a deacon's meeting and I actually took a cymbal and just started banging on it and kept on talking. I said, can y'all understand what I'm saying? They're like, dude, shut up, quit. And then I said, that's you men in this room. If you don't love like Jesus, love and do something. Too many, too many deacons meetings I went to, they were all about let's, let's legislate what other people are supposed to do and that's not of, of God, that's not in the Bible. Bible says you'll prove you love people by your actions. And I don't know if you know this, but, but it wasn't nails that keep, kept Jesus on the cross, it was love. He could have come off that cross anytime. He stretched out his arms and he said, I love people this much. And he died for us. And when our church loves people, this much. There won't be enough seats because folks want to come to a church like that where they are loved unconditionally. And I'm just going to tell you, anybody can be one to Christ if you learn the needs of their hearts, but learning the needs of their hearts takes time. And quite honestly, many of us don't take the time. Our church will never grow beyond the, our ability to meet needs of people. Fourth thing, Budget's coming up in just a couple of months. We're going to spend whatever it takes to reach people for Christ. I don't know if you know this, but the goal of Christianity is healing hurts and helping people. Now, let me explain that. <clears throat> With this next slide, I, I actually added this. The answer to all your hurts, habits, and hangups is Jesus. All of them. There's a promise in scripture for every problem you will ever face. And if you don't know the promise, it means you hadn't been in scripture. 
Now, I want you to look at some promises that God gives us because I'm just going to tell you, if you decide to meet needs of people, if you, if you see the needs and, and you sympathize and you seize the moment and meet the needs, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you some money. It's going to cost you effort. It's going to break you out of self-centeredness, which is a good thing. And cause you to serve others. And by the way, this is, this is how you can know a lot of times whether something is of God or not. If you're, if you're thinking about doing something and you don't know if it's of God or not, one of the surest signs that it's of God is if it causes you to have to be a servant to someone else. Because the enemy of God will never tempt you to be a servant. The enemy of God will always tempt you to put yourself first. Look at these promises from Proverbs, Proverbs 19, 17. When you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord. So part of your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to help the poor. And look what it says. When you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord, and he, God, pays wonderful interest on your loan. And some of you are like, how much interest? Well, then Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 10. Jesus replied, let me assure you that no one who has ever given up anything, home, brother, sisters, mother, father, children, property, for the love of me and to tell others the good news. There's your mission should you choose to accept it. You're supposed to tell others the good news. Jesus says, if you will do that, look what he says. He won't be given, if you do those things, if you've given up some things, you won't be given back. You'll be given back a hundred times over. You know what that is? That's 10,000% interest. If you give up a job for the sake of Christ and to tell others the good news, you'll get 10,000%. You tell me where you can reach 10,000% interest in the stock market right now. Doesn't happen. You can't take your money with you, but you can send it on ahead through the kingdom of God. Here's another promise. Mark 8, 35. If you insist on saving your life, this is Jesus, you'll lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and the sake of the gospel, there's your mission should you choose to accept it. You need to throw yourself away for the sake of the gospel and for Christ. And then look what it says. Only those people who do that will ever really live. You want to really live? You got to throw yourself away for the sake of Christ. Fulfilling your mission should you choose to accept it is the secret to a fulfilled life. We were at um, Brian's daddy's memorial service yesterday and I told Brian this morning, we loved hearing the stories about Rob Lee Swallow. Preached for over 50 years, different churches, and everybody that came up to talk about him said he's a good man, he loved Jesus, wanted everybody to know about Jesus. Man, that's the type of guy I want to be. If you really want to live, the most dangerous prayer you can pray is this. God, use me. I want to really live. God, use me. I dare you to pray it and watch what happens. Father, as I look out the faces in this congregation, I know you're calling us to accept our mission and our mission didn't just sit here. Our mission isn't to build a church that serves us, makes me happy. Our mission is to walk out these doors and serve this community. So I pray that these people would never walk in disobedience, but they would accept this mission. Thank you for being 
invited to be a part of the greatest mission in history, and that's the building of your kingdom, which lasts for eternity. Now I want you to look up here on the screen and and we're gonna put a prayer up here on the screen. I want you to consider, I want you to read through it first before you pray it silently because this is commitment time. Father, today I accept my mission. I want you to use me anytime, any place, any way. I want to serve your purpose in my generation. That's one of the greatest things in Acts it says about David. David served his God's purpose in his generation. That says, and he died. Somebody put that on my tombstone. Doug served God's purpose in his generation. Then he died. Nothing greater can be said about you. I want to serve your purpose in my generation. I want to be part of what you're doing in the world here in Anderson County and all around the world. Next slide. From this day forward, I want to build my life around your eternal purposes. I want to help our church do the same. Help me to reach one more person for Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. So I'm going to pray again. We're going to put this on the screen. And some of you need to spend some time before God. You need to confess sin. You need to confess wanting a serve us church. And then when you're finished spending time with God, you're, you're free to leave. We have our, our, um, our joy basket back there. That's how we give or give online. Yeah, it's like, oh, this is a serious part of the service. Can I make that noise? And then after a few minutes, we'll have our, our uh, leadership meeting. God, I pray for a group of people who are radically obedient to knowing Christ and making him known. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Just start one of those songs back there if you would, Krista. When you're done with God, it's you're free to leave.